0: For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you to join us here in this place this morning, and we trust that you have kept your promise and are here with us. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. The father-son relationship is a complicated one, and I say that as someone who has his father sitting in the front row. (laughs) But of course, it's not just fathers and sons. This is true for fathers and mothers and sons and daughters. It's true, I think, for the parent-child relationship in general. And I think it breaks down pretty simply. Some kids try to be just like their parents, and some kids try to be the exact opposite of their parents. To put it another way, some kids see their parents' influence as a good thing and try to soak it up while others try to get as far away from it as possible. The trick, though, is that you can't actually get away from that influence. We are all somehow reacting to our parents. There's a movie called Admission, which I think I may be the only person on planet Earth to have seen, but it stars Paul Rudd as the director of a super-hippie private boarding school you know the kind of school I mean the one where there's no grades and they raise flowers and herd goats and eat homemade granola for every meal and forego soap so that they can commune more closely with nature at least that's how I think of these schools anyway Paul Rudd founds this school and runs it in direct reaction to his strict uptight upbringing his parents were overbearing and judgmental, and so he goes the other way. He's trying to escape the influence of his parents. But he's worried about his own high school-aged son, Nelson. And in one scene, he's confessing this worry to a friend. This parenthood thing, he says, it's a disaster. I'm screwing it up. I wanted to give Nelson the kind of life I didn't have as a kid. I wanted to give him the opposite of what I had as a kid. But now all of a sudden he's turning into my mother. He plays bridge. He listens to light FM. He asked for a blue blazer with gold buttons and anchors on them for Christmas. And so his friend says, did your mom wear a blue blazer? (laughs) No, says Paul Rudd, that was my father. And I think that that interaction perfectly illustrates this point. We are all influenced by our parents, and their influence on us is no smaller just because we decide to run in the other direction. If it's not them that we're trying to be like, it's them that we're running from. And this influence is so powerful, it even operates in absentia. There's another movie, uh, The Pursuit of Happiness. Will Smith plays a character who was raised by a single mother, never knew his father. And so he tells his own young son that no matter what, he'll never abandon him. He'll be present as a father. And this is a good and worthy thing, of course, but it's still a reaction to his own father, isn't it? He's going to be the opposite of the absent parent his father was. Which brings us to the two sons in this most famous of Jesus' parables. Both of them, the elder son and the younger son, are reacting to the influence of their father. The elder son wants to be just like his father, while the younger son wants to run as far away as he can. But don't let yourself be fooled. These are not two opposite characters, Inviting you to decide which one of them you are. These two sons are two sides of the same coin. And by their actions in this story, both boys are trying, and I'm going to use a little theological language here, both boys are trying to justify themselves. They're just doing it in different ways, using different methods, different strategies. And when I say that they're trying to justify themselves, all I mean by that is that they're trying to make everything okay and make it okay in their own eyes, which, of course, is all any of us are trying to do, to make everything okay. Now, their father, fathers function as a law in a son's life, right? Again, I should say that this is true of parents. Parents function as a kind of law in a child's life. We either struggle to obey or we struggle to rebel. In the movie, Paul Rudd's father was a right wing, blazer wearing, grades in school sort of law, which Rudd found horribly oppressive. So he runs the other way. He's the prodigal younger son, asking for his inheritance early. In essence, telling his father that his situation as a son would be much improved if the father would just go on and die already. He asks for his inheritance early and goes to live in a far country, as far away from the oppressive rule of his father as he can get. That's how he's going to make everything okay. And while this seems, at first blush, like an attempt on the part of the younger son to justify himself through disobedience and sin, it's actually an attempt to justify himself through obedience and sin. It's just that his obedience is to himself, not to his father. That's why it's sinful. The elder son, on the other hand, stays at home. He decides that he's going to justify himself. He's going to make everything okay through a more traditional obedience. But even this obedience turns out to be sinful in its self-righteousness. And so again, we see how these are two sides of the same coin. Different kinds of obedience, but the same (coughs) sin. The elder son doesn't treat the father as though he wishes he were dead, like the younger son does, but he still is not treating him like a loving father who has always and who will continue to care for his needs. This elder son treats his father like an employer so that he can earn the party that the 'er ne'er-do-well younger son gets in the end. That's why he's so jealous. He is obedient, but again, ultimately only to himself. He's obedient to his own desire to be rewarded. And so these two sons in the end are pretty much the same. They're sinners who are in it for a reward. The younger son wants rewards from the world. Parties and sex and fun. While the elder son wants rewards from the father. The ring. The robe. And the fatted calf. Now we react similarly to the laws of our father's house. We remind themselves of their summary each week. Hear what our Lord Jesus Christ says, I announce to you. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law, And the prophets makes the laws of your earthly father's house seem pretty tame by comparison, don't they? I think I had to uh, keep my elbows off the table, not talk back, do as I was told, and not be mean to my sister. But love with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength, love of neighbor as oneself. You can see how someone might run away. In light of commandments like these, it makes sense that the world would act like the younger son, pretending that God is dead and descending into dissolute living. Our world is populated overwhelmingly by prodigals still in their far-off lands, kneeling at the sty with the pigs and telling themselves that they're enjoying a sumptuous feast. They are justifying themselves by being fervently obedient to themselves, to their bellies, to their desires, to their lusts. But those of us who consider ourselves at home with the Father can forget what he's like too. Even those of us in the church who consider ourselves Christians can find ourselves eating out of a pigsty just like those prodigals. Now, even if we've left the pigsty of the world largely behind, and let's be honest, that's uh, for many of us still a continual struggle. But even if we're in our father's house working to be obedient to him, we are still prone to sin, prone to self-righteousness, prone to thinking of our father not as a, gracious creator and sustainer, but as an employer, a great ATM in the sky who will dispense rewards based on our performance. We too can get lost in obedience to ourselves, eyes not on God, but on what we can get from him. So which son are you? Stop right there. It ultimately does not matter. Both sons misunderstand the father, leading to their attempts to justify themselves, to make things right in their own eyes. But I have good news for you this morning. Your father is not someone against whom or to whom you must justify yourself. This father, our father, is the God who justifies. He is the God who makes things right, and he does it by sending another son. There is a third son, a son who makes things right for real and for good. While we were being obedient to ourselves, either in the interest of fulfilling every lustful desire of our hearts or in the interest of earning some heavenly reward, Jesus was actually obedient to the father. Not my will, but yours be done. He prayed in the garden before his arrest. Rather than satisfy his own lusts, he told Satan in the desert that he could survive on God's word alone. Rather than seek reward from his father, Jesus sets his birthright aside. Though he was in the form of God, Paul writes to the Philippians, Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So which brother are you? Are you eating at the pigsty, but beginning to discover that all your lusts, even met, can't satisfy you? Don't let that guilt get in the way. You don't need to justify yourself. There is another son who has justified you. Or are you standing haughtily to the side thinking that this father of yours better give you the party you've earned? Don't let that pride get in the way. You don't need to justify yourself. There is another son who has justified you. Jesus Christ. The son of God is God incarnate and he is a God who justifies. He is the God who makes things right and his accomplishment on the cross and the victory celebration that comes with it is yours for free. You don't need to earn it. You don't need to deserve it. No matter which brother you are, you need Jesus. No matter who you are, you need Jesus. So in a minute, join us as we reaffirm that need. We'll say the creed together, reminding ourselves what kind of God we believe in, what kind of father we have. A father who created the world and then sent his son to redeem it for us and for our salvation We'll say together, he came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate of the Virgin Mary and was made man for our sake. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate, suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the father. We'll pray together, asking God to meet our needs and the needs of the world. And then we will confess our sins, acknowledging that we are still prone to these attempts at self-justification, younger and elder brother style. We acknowledge, we'll pray, and lament our many sins and offenses, which we have committed by thought, word, and deed, provoking most justly your righteous anger against us. But then, ah, then we'll hear the absolution and the comfortable words, Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who in his great mercy promised forgiveness of sins, have mercy upon you, pardon and deliver you from all your sins, confirm and strengthen you in all godliness and bring you to everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This forgiveness of sin and recitation of the promises we have in Christ are the prelude to our weekly version of the great feast. Which the father throws to welcome home his prodigal son. Quickly bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. This son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And indeed, they began to celebrate. And we too celebrate feasting at our father's table. Bread and wine broken and poured out for you. Jesus' body and blood given for you. To make you just. To justify you. To make everything okay. For real. And forever. You who once were dead. Are now alive. You who were lost. Have been found in Jesus. You who were far gone are now at home. Thanks be to God. Amen.